the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking and I'm Tyson Mutrix. Actually, Tyson is going to join us just a little bit late. So it's me by myself for the first couple minutes of the pod. And our guest today is John Day. He's a very successful plaintiff's attorney down in the Nashville, Tennessee area. John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Jim, for having me. Oh, John, we're really excited to have you. And you and I were just talking before we went on air. Your office, one of your colleagues, your partners kindly helped sponsor me to the Middle District of Tennessee. So we appreciate that. But more importantly, we're excited to hear sort of your story and sort of how you grew your firm into the big firm that it is. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, John? Well, thank you. I grew up in northern Wisconsin, went to a, a state undergraduate school in Wisconsin, went to the University of North Carolina Law School, finishing in 1981, and came to practice law with what was then a big firm in Nashville, 20 lawyers. And I started with that firm in uh, May of 1981 and stayed there for 11 years, basically having an 11-year residency with a very excellent plaintiff's lawyer named John T. Connors, Jr. He allowed me to work with him and learn from him. I left that firm uh, effective January 1, 1993, and started my own firm with another very excellent lawyer here in Nashville. And uh, we are now in our 31st year of practicing law. He is no longer with the firm, but there's uh, seven lawyers and a total of 23 people, I guess, working here now. So many of our members are maybe on the fence about starting their own firm or they're getting ready to start their own firm. Walk us through, if you can remember back that far, sort of what your mindset was when you decided to go out on your own in 1991. You know, this may sound untrue, but it's not. It had nothing to do with money. I was treated very fairly by my old firm. They were great lawyers. They helped me build whatever reputation it is I have. And as I said, I had a great mentor who who stayed behind. I started my own firm because of conflicts. Our firm was growing. Uh, as I mentioned, it was 20. When I started there, it was 80 when I left. Uh, there were more and more conflicts, or what I called country club conflicts, which are you know, not real conflicts, but John, you can't sue people that we would like to represent type of conflicts, which I totally understood. I mean, there was no hard feelings by me. 
But I could just see that as time went on, it was going to be harder and harder for me to do what I love to do. So I just uh, jumped in. And I had a, um, a wife and a baby and a mortgage, and I could not get a line of credit, not even 50000 bucks. But I did have $75,000 saved, and I had 15 or 16 cases. And, um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it was probably a little crazy. But I was glad I did it when I did at the age of 36, because I don't think I would have done it at 45. You know, it's scary. So one thing that happened to the guys that I used to be partners with, and I've heard it happen a lot, is that, you know, you have those cases that you bring with you when you start, but then you sort of work those off and there's sort of a dip there. Did you have that dip? And then how did you start bringing in cases once you had set up your own firm? I did not have the dip. The business continued to come to me after I left the firm. And it's because I worked very, very hard from day one, being in Nashville, Tennessee, getting to know people. At the time I moved here, the only people I knew were people in the firm. That was it. I had no connection to Tennessee, no connection to Nashville. And I worked very, very hard to um, be active in the state trial lawyers organization. I was president of it when I was, I think, 36 but worked very hard in legislative efforts and continuing legal education efforts. I was active in the Nashville Bar Association. So I got to know lawyers across the state who were kind enough to think I was competent and would send me work. So I never really had the dip. I just had the pipeline effect. That is, I had to wait for the cases to mature before I could make money. But quite frankly, I did not have to struggle as much as many people had to. I was scared every single day. But the work continued to come, and I continued to turn it over and provide for my family and pay everybody. I'm very proud of saying that I've never had to lay anybody off. Oh, that's great. Even when, you know, there were times when I went without a paycheck, but there were never times when I've had to lay anybody off. Tyson and I just spent the weekend, John, with 30 law firm owners out in Denver, and a lot of them are sort of in that stage where they've gotten started their firm's sort of growing, they're getting busy, they find themselves doing too many things, and they want to grow. What advice do you have for people? Obviously, you've grown your firm from when you went out on your own in 91. What advice do you have for people when it comes to the mindset of hiring and growing? Well, my belief is we're in a service profession, and if you serve the clients, things tend to work out. And I also have worked very hard, as I mentioned in the state trial organization and the national trial organization, and now in yet another organization working to keep my name out there and getting to know people. Last year, we had over 800 lawyers refer us business. We've continued to work at that very, very hard and then give good service to the clients we represent. They've been kind enough to send other people to us. So I guess the only thing I would say is treat your clients like you would like to be treated in that situation and keep giving things away to your fellow lawyers. I've given over 500 CLE speeches in 17 or 18 states. I've written six books, had over 100 published articles. And some people say, John, you're crazy. Look at all that you're giving away. And I say, look what it's given me in return. I mean, it's all worked out pretty well. So John, that's a lot of referral partners. So how are you able to foster all of those relationships? Because that is a lot. You obviously cannot you know, speak to every single one of them all of the time. So how are you able to foster that many referral partners? That's really impressive. Well, it's not the partnership that I read that so many other people have where they have 15 or 20 or 30 and they are constantly working to stay in touch with them. 
Many of these people are send repeated referrals. Other people do not. I get lots of referrals from big firm lawyers and non-personal injury lawyers. Many of them are one-shot referrals. And the way they think of me, I think, is because I write a lot and speak a lot and make myself known in the legal community. And I think people think I'm competent and we care about what we do. So if one of their corporate clients has an issue involving personal injury wrongful death, they think of us. It's not the kind of relationship that John Fisher may have with 15, 20, 30, 40 lawyers in New York. It's a much different thing. And I couldn't possibly take care of 800 lawyers. See, I mean, there's just no way you could have that kind of relationship with that kind of people and still practice law. What has changed in the last 30 years when it comes to the practice of law? What have you noticed, maybe trends in the way cases go, how your team works together? What are some of the things that you've seen really change over these last three decades? The pace is much faster. You know, I remember when I started practice, geez, I'm starting to sound like the old man being interviewed. Sorry, John. Is there an obituary in my near future? No. We did not have fax machines, right, when I started practicing law. When I opened my firm, 1193, we bought a fax machine. It cost $4,000. The technology was still that new that to have a fax machine that would handle the work of two lawyers cost $4,000. So the pace of things is much, much faster. I think the elbows are a little sharper in litigation than they used to be. I've said for years, it's a whole lot easier to attempt to take advantage of people you don't know than people you do and you have to see every single day. So now, you know, the Nashville Bar is over 5,000 people. Many of us deal with the same people all the time, but there's more and more people coming in from other parts of the state, from out of state. And sometimes those elbows tend to be a little sharper. In the healthcare liability area, MedMal area that I've worked in for over 40 years, those lawyers are excellent. They're the best trial lawyers, I think, in the bar. Med-mal defense lawyers, very, very competent people, but they're under a whole lot of economic pressure, so there tends to be more depositions, more squabbles than there used to be. So those are the major changes, I think. And of course, just from the plaintiff's competition has changed a great deal. It used to be that the small town lawyers or the suburban lawyers would have Plaintiff's cases come into them, and uh, that's how they would send their kids to private school, or that's how they would do uh, go on vacation. And those lawyers aren't getting those cases like they used to. Many of my friends who are small town or suburban lawyers make less money now than they did 20 years ago. Advertising has swept up all those cases. So that affects referral relationships, affects the income and well-being of those lawyers. And uh, it's, it's, that's been a sad thing for uh, to observe over the years. It's an interesting point because I actually wanted to talk a little bit about this because it's a good segue into what I want to ask you about. Morgan & Morgan has been in your yard. They're in your backyard. They just came into our backyard in Missouri pretty aggressively. So what is your advice to some of the smaller injury law firm owners to help combat that. It is an issue. It's something we've got to know about. So how do you combat that? Well, Morgan & Morgan came into our market, I think it was seven years ago, and they had no name recognition. I mean, zero. Now they have 16 lawyers. They're taking four or 5,000 cases a year out of the market. So now the good news is the Nashville market is growing. 
Last year, we added uh, 98 people a day as residents in uh, Nashville. The year before was a little bit higher than that. So there's the market is growing. But how do you combat it? I think the way you combat it is just continue to do good service, pay attention to it, and hopefully your clients can be your ambassadors out there. And to continue to work with other lawyers to hopefully send you work. We have not seen our business decline. In fact, this year we're having the best years in terms of new case signups than we've ever had. So you can compete in that marketplace. You just have to make a more conscientious effort to do it. But it is a little scary. Are you ready to unlock your full growth potential both professionally and personally? The Guild Maximum Lawyers Exclusive Community of Legal Entrepreneurs invites you to our upcoming in-person mastermind event in Miami, Florida. There's something truly extraordinary about the breakthroughs that occur when you're physically present, working through your business and mindset challenges in real time. By attending our mastermind, you'll engage in deep discussions, share experiences, and receive expert guidance from our coaches and fellow law firm owners who understand the unique challenges and opportunities within the legal industry. This collaborative atmosphere fuels creativity, accelerates problem solving, and stimulates innovative thinking. Investing in your personal and professional development through attending an in-person mastermind is an investment in yourself and in your future. The breakthroughs, knowledge, and strategies you'll acquire are priceless assets that can transform your practice and propel you towards your goals. Visit MaxLawEvents.com today to join the guild, reserve your spot, and secure your ticket at the best possible price. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Our guest today, John Day, a very successful painless personal injury attorney down in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're going to change topics here for a little bit. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show, John, other than to hear of all your experience, is the fact that you have been able to practice and run your firm while spending significant time in Madrid, Spain. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I'd love to, yes. My uh, family decided that we would move to Madrid for the spring of 2022. So we left December 20th, 2021 and stayed until July 1, 2022 and lived in Madrid in a neighborhood called Salamanca or in a sub-neighborhood called Recoletos and had a wonderful, wonderful time. We still have, at that time, a 14-year-old daughter. We pulled her out of school moved to Madrid with uh, six suitcases and three carry-ons, and the three of us rented an apartment, enrolled her in an international school in Madrid, and uh, lived the dream. It was fantastic. So talk to us a little bit about how you interacted with clients. How did you manage that part of the work? Were any clients or attorneys sort of demanding that you know you meet them at the office? How did you deal with things like that? Well, a couple things. Number one, Remember, this was still when COVID was hot and heavy, and people in Spain really paid attention to COVID. Tennessee, a large number of Tennesseans who didn't think it was real, right? So, uh, but in Spain, <laughs> it was real. We were still wearing masks in uh, public places. Some people were wearing masks on the street. Uh, you certainly were wearing uh, masks on the metro. So, I say all that to say nobody expected to see me in the office at that time. I mean, I, you could get away with not being present. Number two, I didn't tell anybody I was leaving. When you are, at that time, I was, I guess, 65. When you are 65, if you tell somebody you're going to be gone for six months, they think you're either retiring, you're in rehab, or you're very sick, right? So I didn't tell anybody. 
I didn't even tell my partners until three months before we left. We did not tell a soul. In fact, I had one friend in Nashville that I told, and I told him the week before I left. So, and I didn't tell the people at my office until the firm Christmas party one week before we left. We just decided to do it and um, make it work. So, it was a little scary, <laughs> but we uh, we found a way to make it work. I'd be happy to provide more details if you like them. Let's get into that. What surprised you about what was easy, what was hard, what tools you used to maintain? You know, obviously you're still involved in your cases and running the firm. What can you tell us? Well, I've been an active blogger for 15, 17 years, so I continued to blog. I've got almost 3,000 posts up on my main blog, so I continued to do that. I continued to write. I write a column for the State Bar Journal. I continued to do that. I continued to interact on the trial lawyers listserv as necessary, so all those things made it look as if I was still in town. And then I set aside between 10 o'clock and noon every day in Nashville, which was 5 to 7 in Madrid, for phone calls I had to take. So if somebody called the office and they could not be diverted to some other lawyer, then the uh, receptionist would say, John isn't available right now, but he can be available at 10, or he can be available at 10.15 tomorrow, whatever it was. And I would have then, I could look at my calendar in Madrid and know that I needed to be in my apartment between five and seven, and I needed to be able to take phone calls during that period. And some days there were no calls. Some days there were several calls, but I was available and most people are perfectly happy if they can talk to you within 24 hours. So we were able to accommodate people with no problem. But to get to that point, I need to emphasize that there's been at least a five or 10 year process of getting me out of the day-to-day work on lots and lots of cases. We have an excellent team here. I've got one lawyer who's been with me 20 years, another one's been with me 17. They are fully capable of doing what I do. And so I work on relatively few cases at any one time, very few, quite frankly. What I largely do on casework is answer questions for which there is no answer. (laughs) In other words, if my folks have a tough question or a strategy question, I try to give them the benefit of my experience and we work through it together. And that occupies a large portion of my day, but that can be done from anywhere. So, John, let me ask you about your relationships with your leadership team and your employees. How do you maintain that? Because that can't be the easiest thing whenever you're not around them on a regular basis. You know, there's just a whole lot of trust there going both ways. I mean, I trust them implicitly, and uh, I think they trust me, and it just works. I'm just a very fortunate person to have that kind of relationship with my coworkers, and it just works. They know I'm there. If uh, they need me, it sounds a little crazy, but it just happens to work. And it's been built over, as I said, with uh, one lawyer, 20 years. My nurse has been with me for 30 years. My assistant's been with me for 17 or 18 years. My intake manager's been with me for 12. Our paralegal manager's been with me 17 or 18 years. So we have a real solid, long-standing team, and everybody knows what everybody else can do. One of the great things about having this podcast is I get to ask questions about things that are happening over here at Hacking Immigration Law. And and one of those things is our first remote employee was 
a guy who started with us as an intern from WashU, then worked with us here in St. Louis, and then his wife got a tenure track position at the University of Wisconsin, so they were going to move to Madison. And so we set up everything for him to work in Wisconsin, and that's worked out well. And now he's floated the idea. Uh, his wife has a one-year sabbatical from the university about him living in France for a year and helping us as an immigration attorney from France. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that or any suggestions on how we could make that work best. Well, the hardest part about accomplishing that is the time zone difference. You know, depending on where you are in France, is either six or seven hours. I believe there's part of France that is on London's time zone, if my memory serves me correctly. And that can be a problem. I mean, I did have some telephone calls at 11 p.m. in Madrid because in a professional organization I'm very active in, I had four o'clock meetings once a month. So I was taking those uh, at 11 p.m. You would face some of those same difficulties. But if you trust the person, there's no reason why it can't work. It may require him to accommodate his normal work schedule to work later to accommodate the needs of clients, but it just works. Just a matter of communication. I bet you would agree with me. Most of the world's problems are related to lack of communication. Either someone's not speaking clearly or somebody's not listening. It's responsible for most of the wars and all of the problems, and open, honest, and direct communication solves a lot of problems. That's a very good point. I wonder what advice you would have given yourself before you started this. Maybe some mistakes that you would have made, maybe some things you would have done a little bit differently. What would you have told yourself when you started this to do a little bit differently? You know, I would have remarried my wife because she's the one who did all the logistics. I must tell you, I still, as I tell people, I work half time, uh, only 12 hours a day. So somebody else has to take care of everything else for me. And my wife is the one that got the visa. My wife is the one that found the apartment. My wife is the one who identified the school and set up the interview so that my daughter could get admitted into this school. My wife is the one who got permission uh, from our local school to pull our daughter out, which is no small feat. So, you know, my wife did an excellent job doing all the things that needed to be done to get this to go smoothly. Now, quite frankly, there wasn't anything that went wrong. The only thing that went wrong and the only thing I would do differently, number one, I wouldn't have been as scared as I was because I was very, very nervous about it that last week. I mean, my wife and I would be in bed at night and and we would say, this is getting real. I mean, <laughs> we're packing up a three-foot Christmas tree. My wife wanted to have a Christmas tree in Madrid, you know, and we're putting it in a suitcase and everything that we think we're going to need for six months is going to go in six bags. And I'm walking away from a law firm where we got a lot of people who depend in part upon what I do, and we're just going to go. So I was scared, and I was scared unnecessarily. But number two, I wish I would have spent more time learning Spanish. I, I did. My wife speaks Spanish. She's taught herself. My daughter speaks Spanish and, and advanced uh, significantly. We're there. But I did not take the time to learn Spanish. I did learn Dos Mas Propofor so I can get two more drinks at any bar in Madrid. But other than that, and a few other things around restaurants and casual conversation, uh, there's not much Spanish. And I didn't take the time to do that. Everything else was worked as smooth as it possibly could. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to wrap here in just a second, Tyson. We'll wrap. But I did want to mention John had said, Tyson, before you got on, and I wanted to thank him that 
he's referred 50 people to the podcast. So we're very appreciative of the support, John, that you've shown us. And then, of course, that you showed me helping me get admitted to the Middle District of Tennessee. Yes. Thank you so much, John. That's awesome. You guys have done so much for the profession. I mean, I joined Maximum Lawyer, I think, when there was around 1,000 lawyers, maybe 1,200, and you've grown substantially. And this is the type of thing I'm talking about, what you two have done in terms of giving back to the profession and fellow lawyers. This is exactly what we need to do to help one another. I'm, I'm proud of you and thankful for both of you. No, thanks, John. Thank you so much, John. All right. So we are going to wrap things up. We do want to be respectful of your time. And I'm, I'm getting uh, looks from a couple of police officers because I'm at the courthouse and they're about to start a murder trial and they need the room. So, but we are, we are going to ask everyone, if you will, give us a five-star review. If you like this podcast, hopefully you, by you listening to this, you prove that you've gotten something from it. And if you want to join us in the guild, go to maxlawguild.com. We'd really appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your ag of the week? So I was talking to Jason Selk the other day, and he was talking to me, as he often does, about not respecting channel capacity, both in myself and with the team, throwing too much at them, asking them to do too much. And so in doing so, he also mentioned that we don't manage expectations well, and he quoted Stephen Covey on that for me, and it reminded me that I hadn't read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People since I first started practicing law. So I remember listening to it on a Walkman on cassette tape. So now I'm re-engaging with the material and it's just so solid. It's just so solid. It's all principle-based stuff. And I'm really enjoying getting into it again. Love it. That's great advice from Jason for sure. John, as you know, we always ask our guests to give a tip or hack of the week. So you've got several years of wisdom. So what you got for us? Well, I would suggest that people uh, consider doing a lot of speaking and writing to fellow lawyers. You know, you could take that knowledge that you've developed for a particular motion or a brief or whatever it was and convert that into an article or to a speech and share it with other people. It helps you. It forces you to do a little bit more than you might otherwise do because you don't want to embarrass yourself in the community. It helps other lawyers. And uh, I, I really believe a rising tide lifts all boats. It's a great way to accomplish lots of other things. So share what you know. I love that. hundred percent. Nick Rowley wrote an article a few years ago and it's about trying cases and helping other lawyers try cases. I just thought it was a great article that actually, I take that article and I mail it to attorneys every once in a while that are younger. Just to, hey, you got to stay in the courtroom. But like, it's things like that that definitely help the profession. So I think that's great advice. My tip of the week is I've got my own success log that I fill out. It's something that Jason has me fill out. It's an electronic version. I wanted something to write down in gratitude. And so I found this on Amazon. It's really cool. It's called, it's by the Productivity Store. It's called the Daily Gratitude Journal. And you write in some things you're, that you're grateful for. But it's got a, a few other things too that are pretty cool about it when it comes to your affirmations and positivity and things you did for the day. So it's, it's pretty cool. So if, if you're into journaling, I recommend it. It's cool. I'm about a weekend now. I've really enjoyed it to this point. So really good stuff. John, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and, and thank you for everything you've done for the profession. Thanks, John. Appreciate it very much. See you later. Have fun, gentlemen. Bye, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.